0: Um, okay, yeah. You might see something a little different here. There's usually one person up here uh, preaching. There's going to be two today. So I know this is groundbreaking. It's like, whoa, one is so good. How can we handle two? It's, gonna be, it's too good. I don't have to come back from church for a month. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we're actually having a lot of fun this morning. Yes. Uh, Steve and I have known each other for a very long time. I think 25 years. That's Yeah, I mean, I I became a youth pastor in town here in
1: 96, and you were the youth pastor here. And it wasn't but just a few months later that we met and started having like Chinese food every other week and and just kind of getting to know each other. And we were very different in our ministry approaches. We cannot probably be two more different
0: uh, people. We're different people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's kind of fun that way. But right?
1: we did ministry, youth ministry together in our two groups, and we've been together now for 15 years here at Rancho. And yeah, yeah. And then there came an opportunity. We are a diverse
0: community of we friends. We are, just you and I. But then uh, a few years after that, uh, there was an opportunity for you to come here. And I remember us talking as a staff, hey, Steve's like available, like you're a... F- free agent out there. Yeah, Steve was available. And we thought to each other, Mike, could we bring him on here? How cool would it be to bring yeah. Steve? And so after a men's event or something like that, you went to your car and one of our executive team members chased you out there and yeah. said, Steve, is there any way we can get you to Rancho? And over a period of time, you said, yeah. yes. And we've been serving together here yeah. now for how many years you've been here at Rancho? 15, year, uh, 15 2008. years, That's awesome. yeah, 2008. That's awesome. Yeah, 2008. So we're kind of committed to both, you know, serve here and, and die here. So you can't get rid of us. It's a good team. Our whole crew is really so united in so yes. many ways. Even I'm the old different. man
1: now. I know. on know. That's staff. so fun.
0: I'm older than him. I know that's shocking,
1: <laughs> but I am.
0: Yeah, I look older than you, so I, I kind of <laughs> resent that. I kind of resent that. You are 15 years older than me. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Not quite. Older, yeah. <laughs> so we're going to team teach the intro to Romans, and we'll see how, kind of how this goes. Sometimes we do something new, we lay an egg, and it stinks, and sometimes we do something new, and it's really cool. So... We'll see. No pressure. Well, and I'm excited about this because Romans, like, yeah. for many, many years,
1: Romans it first started off by my identity, like in Christ. Yeah. You talk a lot about your identity in Christ. Romans is probably the book that impacted me the most in that. But then it's morphed though, to where that whole focus we have on unity, that whole idea of being a diverse community of friends, stems from this book. So we're going to be spending the next eight weeks taking a book that, to me, has a foundation, and not just my own personal life, but it's it's become more of my broader way of looking at.
0: Yeah, that's why we're calling it Church in the together. World. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because the entire Christian community has always wrestled through our diversity. It's meant to be diverse. It's meant to be all tribes, all tongues, all nations. But then you get, like, really? All tribes, all tongues, all nations, all different backgrounds, different political perspectives, different racial, ethnic backgrounds in one place at one time in one church? There could be fireworks. Mm -hmm. And as Megan said earlier in the the service, the church has made mistakes. The church in America has made mistakes about how to deal with each other, how to relate with each other, and we end up fighting each other in a way that is just a terrible witness to this world. Because they're looking at a church that's fighting each other, and they're thinking, you talk about the love of God, but you can't love each other. Um, We got one of our our teachers here and elders in the church, Mick, right over there, and he was with us as we were planning this series, and he says, Unity is kind of the proof of the truth of this message. Hmm. If this message of Jesus is about, by the love and grace of God, reconciling, bringing us together with God, yet you can't reconcile, you can't bring yourselves together with each other, this whole thing might not even be true. So unity is, in some respects, the proof of whether or not this message about the grace of God through Jesus is, is even real. Yeah, totally. And so, yeah, so it's been a important book in the
1: oh, yeah. history of the church. I don't know if the, we've done really good at following it. Here we are again. I know there's no disunity going on in our culture or in the church culture now, Uh, maybe a little bit. So we found that this is, I mean, just like our summer seminary you're talking about, that you're going to see how we don't just pull these ideas out of the air. We are driven by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, but it's redefining what that good news looks like. And this book does it as much as any book and in a more powerful way than anything we've
0: seen. Couldn't agree more. So, you know, when you talked earlier about our mission as a diverse community of friends, advancing the cause of Christ through mercy, justice, and love. That's all here in the book of Romans. Right. The book of Romans was addressing a church that was trying to be a diverse community of friends. They were trying and trying and trying, but as you'll see here, they had a lot of problems actually experiencing unity and love and being gracious toward each other. And so the book of Romans answers this. As a result, it is central in terms of its importance. In fact, William Tyndall, who's uh, uh, kind of, gosh, he was, what, uh, 18th century scholar, Bible translator, he says this about the book of Romans. Uh, Forgive the old English. Romans (laughs) contains the whole learning of Christ's gospel and an introduction into all the Scripture. It is the principal and most excellent book of the New Testament. No man can read it too oft. That means oft. I love oft. (laughs) Why not not just add? It's just short. (laughs) Or study it too well. For uh, the more it is studied, the more it is chewed, the more pleasant it is. The more it is searched, the more precious the things that are found. Wherefore, let everyone without exception exercise himself therein diligently and record it night and day continually until he be fully acquainted therewith. So you must fully acquaint us therewith with the book of Romans today, right? Right,
1: yeah. So there's a reason why Scott and I are doing this together, because he is going to tackle kind of, Scott really loves the historical. If you guys have been here for any given a time, he loves the historical, what's going on in the culture. And so we want to tackle that as we launch into this book a little today. And then he asked me to kind of take like that Romans chapter one, maybe more of that biblical stuff that he's talking about, how that fits into the culture. So that's what we're going to do. So you're going to kind of hear from both of us. He said, this is a preaching duel. I don't yes, know what that means. Duel to the death. He told me that this morning morning. morning. I thought it was a teaching team, but I realized there's a competition going on. So so let us know who does better, and we'll go from there. Yeah. All right, so so let's go. Let's do it. Let's do it.
0: All right, so in order to understand the Bible, uh, there are three important um, things you have to know, and this is kind of a cliche, but three important things to know when you study the Bible. Context, context, and
1: context. context.
0: You've (laughs) got to know why the book was written, What was the reality going on? To whom was it written? And then you can understand, okay, well, this is the truth in the context. Now, how can I apply it today? So I'm going to talk about the context. The context was there was a war between Roman hedonists and Jewish legalists. And we'll define that as we go. Roman hedonists and Jewish legalists. So I'm going to show you Roman hedonists. Here they are, and they are partying, and they are gluttonous, and every pleasure, they were just taking it in. It was violence and gluttony and sex, and you name it, they were doing it, right? And then there are the Jewish legalists. The Jewish legalists were holding to their their Old Testament scriptures, right? The Torah, the first five books of the Bible, they were buttoned up. They were dialed in, and they were in one place at one time in the Roman church together together. Is that even possible? Is it even possible that Roman hedonists and Jewish legalists can be in one church honoring Jesus, following Jesus, and advancing the cause of Jesus together? Is that even possible? Mm -hmm. Well, the book of Romans is asking that question. And we'll see, is it possible that these two totally different, totally opposite people can bring them together? What is Roman you know, you know, hedonism. Early, early, earlier. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, no, like earlier you said they were trying, trying. I want you, they weren't even trying. No, they might not. To have, have
1: unity initially. This probably they probably later set set them other. on something different. I know. Yeah. They probably just came in and were just trying to destroy each other. They might have been. We'll so talk about so that. let's yeah. talk about why. Yeah. So the
0: Roman hedonists were pursuing pleasure. That was hedonism. It was grounded in, in philosophy, it was grounded in their religion, right? The pursuit of pleasure, which is the satisfaction of desire, is the highest good and proper purpose of life. Roman hedonism. If you want it, get it. And Rome, the great Roman Empire, had the power to get what they wanted. They had the armies, so they took whatever they desired. They took land, they took slaves, they took power, they took women, they took children, they took anything they wanted. They gorged on power, gorged on violence, gorged on wealth, gorged on food, gorged on sex without boundaries. They were absolutely hedonistic, taking what they wanted for their own personal pleasure and power. How about Jewish legalists? Legalism is the denial of pleasure and obeying the law of God. That is the highest good and proper purpose of life. So you can see they're looking at each other from across the room going, I can't stand you. I hate you with every part of my being, right? They hated each other. The Romans were looking at the legalizers going, you are so uptight. And you're all about self-denial, and you cover yourself in dirt and sackcloth. And you're—what di- what mm-hmm. is going on? You're, you're a buzzkill, number one. And number two, I, I, we're tired of being judged. You're wagging your finger at us for every little thing we do. And the Jews are looking at the, the Roman heathenists going, you make me sick. Look at what you're doing, how violent you are, right? How disgusting your behavior is. And the way you handle your sexuality is you've got to be kidding me. They absolutely hated each other, Right? I saw something just this last week. I think it was a comedian who said, I was watching a guy on TV list all the cool things I could do this summer to have fun. Then I realized it was a preacher listing sins in the Bible. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) The hedonist and the legalist, right? So you can imagine, here we are in a Roman synagogue, right? A synagogue is a place of Jewish worship. They had their temple in Jerusalem, then they had their synagogues, these outposts of religion, right? Call it a church. So they had the synagogue, fully Jewish practicing synagogue. And here are the Jewish legalizers. They had their Old Testament law, and so they're worshiping on Saturday, right? Saturday the day of rest. No work, right? They um, were, they were, um, uh, they were uh, you know, uh, not cooking. And they had their, their diets all squared away, right? Their men were properly circumcised according to the old covenant. Everything was all dialed in. Now, they happened to worship Jesus, And so they were enjoying this Jewish Jesus-worshiping community of absolute unity, and they're obeying the law of God. And then scandal upon scandal happens. Romans started receiving Jesus as their Savior, these Roman hedonists. And so they're waltzing in the church after a good morning's work on Saturday. You can't do that, right? Their manhood's not properly dealt with. You can't do… You can't come in here with that uncircumcised thing going on. You can't do it. You got cheeseburger juice. We don't do cheeseburger. You got a carnitas taco. We don't do pork. You're about to down a shrimp burrito. We don't do shrimp or catfish, and you're doing all of it. You can't do that. And they are fighting, fighting, fighting. Mm. Like you said, you're probably right. No interest in unity. Just interest in judging each other. Yeah, totally. And so, yeah, I mean, that's
1: what the culture was when Paul then comes in and he wants to write this book of Romans, you know, and right off the bat, I mean, here's this division and he jumps right into it, right? He goes, gets right to the point of what this is about. In Romans chapter one, verse five, he says this, through him, we've received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles. I mean, that's a pretty heavy statement. Including Romans. Including Romans, <laughs> right. Yeah, they call all the, that is the, that's mm-hmm. probably who they're talking about, you know, yep. calling all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith for his namesake. In verse seven, he goes on to say, to all in Rome who are loved by God. Mm-hmm. What, what a statement. Yeah. To all who are in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So right off the bat, Paul in this letter when he writes to this church is talking about we are calling all Gentiles. And then he mentions in the first couple verses right before this that this is what the prophets were talking about. You go back to Abraham. And the covenant through Abraham was that he would be and all his descendants would be a blessing to all nations. But if you've been here at all with us, we realize that that's not what happened, right? People felt like a curse in front of the Jewish nation and religion, but he was to be a blessing. So this is what the prophet's talked about. This is nothing new. Paul's reminding them about that. So it goes all the way back from that. And I believe Paul is being very strategic here. I think Paul's one that really paid attention to his words when he said things like obedience that comes from faith, not obedience that comes from heritage. Not obedience that comes from law abiding, going to the temple, getting circumcised, not eating the wrong things and making sure you're doing the right things, but this obedience that flows out of trust. And what you're gonna see as we go through the book of Romans, it's a trust that we're all loved, right? That we're all forgiven, that we're all accepted. That's what it's about. And he specifically says, we are, like we are, not I am. And I think that's an important key because the book of Romans can be a very like personal salvation book when I don't think that's the salvation and the hope he's talking about. A matter of fact, Romans is not just about me, my salvation and my walk with God. It's about we, it's about we, it's about our salvation and our walk with each other in and through God. And I think that's an important distinction to make. And I couldn't imagine how controversial this must have been, right? As this letter is coming and these Roman leaders who are, you know, leading the church and they're hearing and you have these hyper-Jewish people coming in, hyper-religious people going like, wait a minute. What the Gentiles need to do is become more like us, just like you mentioned, you know. And what those Roman Gentile followers of Jesus are saying, like, no way do we want to become like you. And so that's the culture that they come into. And that's the reason why
0: Paul writes this letter. And this is not an easy thing, right? So I, like you, was taught early on that the book of Romans was kind of like a roadmap to my personal salvation. You want to get out of hell, the book of Romans tells you the roadmap to get out of hell, right? You understand the context of the Roman church and you understand the, the writings of the letter. It's really about not just a personal salvation, but a road to a corporate salvation. Let's love each other. Let's show grace to each other. Let's together shine the love of Jesus Christ Mm. to the entire world so they can see the love of Christ at work in your church community. Because in a a world that is divided, and we are living in a divided world and a divided country, this country needs to see an example of people loving each other despite their differences, despite their different religious perspectives, despite their differences in culture and race and heritage. They need to see love at work. That's the salvation that's being proclaimed and taught and what was hoped to be practiced in the Roman church. That's what this is all about. And Paul wanted to show this, not just because he has a biblical conviction, which he clearly does, right? right? Uh, Paul went all the way back to Abraham. This is the early chapters of Genesis. This is 1,800 years before Jesus. God called Abraham and said, I want to bless every single nation. So Paul had a theological conviction, but he also had a very personal conviction as well, right? The apostle Paul very likely had a Jewish mother. So Paul was fully Jewish, In fact, he rose through the religious ranks of the Jewish religion and became a Pharisee. He became a top-tier Pharisee. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul calls himself the best Jew. And he wasn't saying that to brag. He was saying that I am at the top of the Jewish religious system. So if anybody has authority here to talk about Jewish people, I do. But then he also says in Acts chapter 16, verse 37, he says, I am a true-born Roman citizen. So, likely his dad was a Roman citizen, which gave him the full rights and privileges of the Roman Empire. So, Paul has a personal story here. He is the embodiment of the union of Jew and Gentile, right? And he embraced Jesus Christ. So, he's saying, listen, not to brag or anything, but I am unified as a Jew and Gentile. And I understand from both my Jewish perspective and my Roman perspective, that I am saved only by grace, and that God's desire is that all of us share in that grace together no matter our differences. And so Paul is passionate about this, passionate about it. And he's writing to strangers. He never met them, but he's saying, you know what? I am so dedicated to having one church as diverse as you shine out the love of Christ. I'm gonna write the longest letter that I have ever written, and it's gonna be to you. Yeah, what what a cool
1: reality, right? This guy can have the authority. The Jews, Jew of Jew, Pharisee of Pharisees, a Roman citizen, and he has the authority. And he has authority to bring this gospel message. Look at Romans 1.15. He says this, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks. I think in some ways he's saying like, you know, Romans and Jews, but he's almost identifying himself as one of the Greeks in a sense, or the, or the non-believer culturally, there. Right? Yeah, culturally. Yeah. Or you would sit there and say, well, the Americans and non-Americans, <laughs> you know, but he's saying the Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise And the foolish, and that's interesting, we'll be talking about how he calls (laughs) the Jewish people the weak and the Romans the strong later on. It's gonna be a fun time. And that is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. And I think this is interesting. He wants to come and preach the gospel to those that have already received Christ. They're followers of Jesus, which means I think they're missing what the gospel is. They're missing what the good news is. Though they are following Jesus, They're not living in this unity. What the true salvation, we think about salvation, we think about where we go after we die. I think when Paul thinks about salvation, he thinks about what created on this earth, this kingdom come will be done here on this earth. He goes on, he says this, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Okay, rethink the word salvation, right? Don't just think, gets them all to heaven, but brings a community, brings unity, brings this from hedonism to hyper-legalism together. to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. It's the power of God for the Jews and Gentiles. And we will see as we continue through this letter that that power that that salvation is to bring together in unity everyone. You see, there's a kingdom out there, the kingdom of empire we're gonna be looking at, the kingdom of empire, the kingdom of religion, and both those things divide. Always has, always does, and still does to this day. It divides, but the kingdom of God is about unifying, about bringing together, That's the good news. That's the salvation Paul's talking about. That's what he wants to bring to these followers of Jesus
0: to continue to come and preach this salvation because they're not living into it yet. So if we properly understand what salvation is through Rome, salvation is the receiving of God's goodness and grace through Jesus Christ. Freely given to everybody, Jew and Gentile, right? To the whole world, freely given. We receive that salvation from God, and then we share that with each other. God wants heaven on earth. And to experience his love, to experience his grace, to experience his goodness now. And thankfully, there's a promise forever. But let's not forget the here and now. As you perfectly said, the kingdom of empire always creates division, the kingdom of religion always creates division. So, what Paul does in chapter one is he says, All right, let's go after the hedonists first, right? Mm -hmm. So, let's just say, let me look around here. Clearly, this is the hedonistic side of the room. So, Hedonists over here, a couple of Hebrews them sure over there, yeah, yeah oh, they're, they're on the sure. right side. Yeah, they're on staff. So uh, yeah. these are the hedonists over here. So Paul first says, all right, hedonists, listen, you are very proud, aren't you? They're saying, well, heck yeah, we're Romans. How can yeah. we not be proud? We have armies, we have power, we are seizing land, we got most of Europe and a bunch of Asia Minor, we're going after North Africa, we do what we want, we take what we want, we enjoy what we want, we are Romans wow, proud, good for you. Let's talk about what's really going on in Mm. your culture. And he unloads on them. So imagine our Jewish legalist friends over here just loving what Paul's about to do to these Roman hedonists. You ready? He starts tearing apart their culture, which was disgusting. I mean, we're just going to be honest, it was disgusting. Roman hedonistic culture Was based on a philosophy that we are uniquely and divinely appointed to be satisfied. Every single lust we have is to be satisfied. Every desire we have is to be satisfied. And so here's what they did. Only true born citizens were given what's called in Latin dignitas. For those of you who are linguists, dignitas means what? Give it a shot. Dignity. All right. Dignity. Only true-born Roman citizens had dignity. Everybody else did not deserve dignity, were not given dignity. They were just objects to be exploited and abused at will for the pleasure of true born Romans. Roman invaded peoples and invaded land with horrifically grotesque violence. I'm, I, am, I am withholding 99% of the things I have read and have felt in reading about the Roman Empire, utterly grotesque. Their policy was shocking cruelty to terrorize peoples They had various slogans of the Roman Empire. One of them was, spare no one, spare no one. They would invade lands, defile and slaughter women and children at will. And that word defile is intentional. They would defile and slaughter women and children at will. They, uh, those that they didn't slaughter, they could take as slaves, slaves for labor, slaves for sex, no boundaries, no boundaries on age, no boundaries on gender. Slaves were made gladiators, some of them, and pit against each other in public combat, as you well know, that ended in bloody, gruesome death, for sport, for pleasure. They conquered people, and those who they thought to be uh, enemies of Rome, they were annihilated, publicly executed by crucifixion, burned alive, torn apart by animals. Roman men had full control over their household. Full stop. Roman men full control over their household. They could do anything they wanted with anybody they wanted. Quote, full authority to use his slaves as he might wish. And that is referring to violence, labor, and sex. There was a reference to sexual violence with women, men, and children without boundaries. There was no such thing in the Roman culture as heterosexual or homosexual, none whatsoever. So to apply Romans 1 to identification of heterosexual or homosexual, it's, it's not real. There was no such thing in the Roman Empire. The contexts are totally different. In the Roman Empire, you simply took what you wanted. And it was not just about pleasure, it was about power. Roman men exercising power of their sexuality over people. And again, the the details are horrifically disgusting, no boundaries, children, all of it to exercise power. Sex was about pursuing pleasure at will, but particularly about abusing people to satisfy power. Violent prostitution was well accepted and normal. Violent prostitution as worship of the gods, well accepted and normal. That is Roman hedonism. They were coming to church with Jewish legalizers. That's a fun Saturday morning.
1: Yeah, and so so here we are, right? Romans chapter one, that's what Paul is going after. Now, I, I just wanna put another explanation point on what you just said. This portion of scripture in Romans chapter one has been taken so out of context It's been used to oppress a small portion of our current culture and society. And I just cannot see that Paul's purpose of opening up this powerful book to bring unity had the goal to condemn a small minority who identify as gay or lesbian. It just doesn't make sense to me. But what he is doing, I think is genius absolute genius, he is gonna start off this letter that he's gonna get the unity, all these chapters to bring to unity. He's gonna start off by basically just looking at the worst of the worst from both sides, just kind of laying it out on the table. And when it comes to the Roman Empire, as Scott just kind of opened up just in a very non-graphic way, it is hard to read. Considering that, Listen to what he considers the Roman Empire. What we are looking at at the Roman Empire. Look at Romans 1.18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. He goes on to talk about how these people, they know God, but they don't, consider, you know, they don't consider God, they don't give them thanks. Instead, they just go after their own things. They worship creation instead of the creator and their minds begin to be consumed by these things, consumed by power, consumed by lust, consumed by greed, and a whole bunch of other destructive things, just like Scott was talking about. To where he gets to Romans one twenty-two, and he says, although they claim to be wise, they become fools. Fools, just pursuing and dominating. Ultimately, as Paul sees it, is that God had given them over to do whatever they want. This is the wrath of God revealed. This is what we see in the Roman Empire. God allowing it to go, and you just see the destruction that that goes on. And the history of the sexual perversion in the Roman Empire is well-documented. You can look at it and you can follow it. So Paul starts talking about, they're degrading their bodies with one another. They're doing things they wouldn't normally do. There's men with men, women with women, much of which is part of like this kind of worship stuff, power over the vulnerable and the marginalized. As Scott said, this was not about sexual orientation. This was about power, pleasure, and being consumed by lust. That's what it says in Romans chapter one, read through it. And that's what we see in full force in the Roman empire. Now, yeah, we still see these destructive power over things going on in our culture and around the world, no doubt. But it wasn't just the sexual stuff. There was so much more going on. Look at Romans 1.29. They had been filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And any good, God-fearing god fearing Jewish religious person would know this. They knew this. No wonder they want want them to be considered part of the kingdom of God. (laughs) They come in and they're actually leading to the church, these people.
0: No wonder this was a big
1: issue and a struggle for them.
0: So you can imagine if this was a Saturday morning on the day of Sabbath for the Jewish people and they're in their synagogue and let's say they're on this side of the room and a bunch of Romans come in on this side of the room and they're reading the letter written from the Apostle Paul on that Saturday morning. When they get through Romans chapter one, you can imagine this side of the room is cheering. Go get them. Yes, we've been telling them they're this way the whole time. We've been telling them this is the wrath of God being revealed because he's just letting you do all this violent stuff and power over people and gluttony in every disgusting and perverse way possible, right? They're cheering, go get them. And then the Apostle Paul goes to chapter two, right? And he looks to this side of the room and it doesn't go so well over here. Now, these people over here, the Jewish legalizers, they were also proud, not of their power and of their violence and their pursuit of pleasure, but they were very proud that they were all buttoned in with the Jewish law, obeying the Ten Commandments, obeying the Torah of the Old Testament, obeying the Talmud, 6,000 laws, obeying the feasts and festivals, right? They kept it all. They kept the commandments, you know, sort of. (laughs) They kept themselves sexually pure-ish, right? Uh, they kept their marriage vows mostly, you know, a few asterisks there. They weren't violent, at least as violent as, as this side of the room, right? The Jewish legalists considered themselves better than others, so proud of how right they were with God because of their obedience, how right they were of God because they kept the Sabbath, and they kept the feasts and festivals, and they kept the reading of God's Word. They were so proud that they were clean, right? We don't touch bacon like you, and they're like, oh, don't touch my bacon, Right? they didn't eat cheeseburgers, mixing meat and cheese. How could anybody do that? And they're like, I kind of like cheeseburgers. There were no shrimp, no catfish. Steve would be out. Steve is a <laughs> not shrimp dude. I'm getting so hungry after I'm, <laughs> today. I'm ready to go. Shrimp and bacon. Yes. Burrito. There oh, it that's is. That's amazing. So the Jewish legalists were boasting, right? In a different way than the hedonists were. They were boasting in their religion. Hmm. They were boasting that they were right, that they were good. Sound familiar? And Paul goes after them. Yeah. I mean, when he gets to
1: chapter two, it's like some drop the mic moments, you know? (laughs) Romans chapter two, verse one, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. I mean, think of that list in Romans one. Think of the Jewish religious person going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, oh, and by the way, you have no excuse for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. And we're talking about the heart issue, right? When we're talking about the depths of being taken over by power, they're doing the same things, right? You know, the power, greed, lust, whatever it might be, they're doing the same things. And there's no doubt that this Romans chapter two part, right? is directed towards those religious leaders, That's who Paul is going after. And this is challenging the very heart of that us versus them mentality. Us over them, right? I mean, they they came up, they, they tried to rule over even their own people, the Jewish leaders, right? It is basically going after this idea of determining who is in, who is out, who is worthy, who is not worthy. That's why Paul starts off right about faith. It's about faith. It's about trust. It's not about following the rules and the regulations. I mean, bottom line is the religious elite feel they are superior over everyone else, but Paul reminds them that they are just like everyone else. Oh, man, do I need to hear this. Anyone else? (laughs) I find myself really struggling with my place in this world, thinking the same things. What a heavy reality. One, I think the church in America would do well to heed. And as Paul was going to redress this, address this so much as we continue his letter, but just how he ends this short little thing, just to shut up the religious hyper people, right? Just he ends by saying this, look at Romans 2, 4. Or do you show contempt to the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? That is heavy. I know I've been wrestled with my own life. Like if I'm gonna face God, like what do I want him not to say? (laughs) One of the things I've come to the conclusion, I don't want him to say, man, Steve, you showed contempt to my kindness, forbearance, and patience. Not realizing that it's God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Wait, you mean even towards those, those? Yes, even towards those. Yeah. And that's what Paul's gonna unpackage in this
0: an amazing book. This is the standard religious thing, right? We talk about it a lot. It's like, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for your grace toward me. But them, that's the exact same thing going on here. Mm. And the only way this divided church was gonna be united is to start with humility. It's the only way they were gonna be united. To have the Romans, with all their power, say, you know what, you're right. Our culture has done some disgusting things. We are broken, right? Our culture is broken. To have the humility to stop judging the religious, you know, hypocrites and the religious, you know, judges who are just always condemning other people, and then for the religious people to have the humility to say, you know what, I'm just like them. It may not look like this, but right here in my heart, I am looking out for myself, and, and I do say things that are wrong, and I do think things that are wrong, and I'm, I'm just like them. Humility here and humility here. And even though we don't have full Roman hedonism in the United States of America, thankfully, there are strains of it, right? There are strains when people use other people and lie to other people and use their power, whether it's in homes, whether it's with their words, whether it's in companies, to use and abuse other people. It still happens today. There are strains of hedonism today, there are certainly strains of legalism today. It may not look like Jewish legalism, but there's legalism alive and well today. And, and there are people from both of these strains that simply want to follow Jesus, right? They simply want to receive God's grace. But as you said in, in chapter 2, verse 4, let's not just receive God's grace for us. Let's also allow God's grace to pour out to them, And if we are humble enough to allow God's grace to cover every single corner of humanity from heathenism to legalism and everything in between, now we've got a shot. Now we've got a shot. Did this work in Rome? We're going to find out. Can it work here in America? We're also going to find out. Can it work here in this one church? Can it work here in one church where there's a, you know some people who have strains of legalism, which I was raised in, yeah, you were raised right. in, right? This judging of other people and calling out other people's sin, it's a lot of fun. It makes us feel really good. That's my strain. I've had to battle that and still to this day battle that. Can I be a part of a church that has wide open doors that says everyone is welcome, like fully welcome as they are to walk through these doors and we're going to love them and accept them, welcome them into the family of faith? Can we have hedonists who are saying, looking at the religious people going, you know what? Religious people, we are so tired of your yapping, right? Yapping judgment and and pretending like you're better than anybody else, you're on your high horse in your soapbox looking down at everybody else for a hedonist to say, you know what? I too have to welcome in those who, who have been the judges in our society. A lot of people are saying, I'm done with church, I'm done with their judgment. Well, we have to open ourselves up and say, this is a wide open door for everyone. With strains of hedonism, and yes, there's things to work on there, and strains of legalism, and yes, there's things to work on here, and to have the humility together that none of us has it right. Yeah. None of us has it right. Most famous verse in Romans, Romans 3:23, "All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." You hear that, hedonists? <laughs> All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You're not perfect. You haven't arrived. You hear that, legalists? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us are perfect. None of us have arrived. But listen to how it ends. That God freely makes us all right in his eyes by grace. Hmm. I tell you Scott man just just
1: unpacking that. Yes. Just unpacking <laughs> that and getting into that Romans 3:23 when you read that in not this personal like God thing but in a unified like community yeah. thing. I mean how powerful is that? That's when you get to that and you sit there and go, "Oh, this is about moving us together." Yeah. Not just, not about what's going on here. It's about what's going on here. Yeah. That's what it's about. And when, you, when you've said that, man, it's like, whew, what a powerful reality
0: it, and how we missed it. Can that actually work, you know? We'll see. So talk about the arrows, here's how the arrows work. God says, I'm choosing, quoting Romans 3, 24, to freely make everyone right in his eyes. Now we have to look at each other and do the same. Hmm good luck.
1: Yeah. All right.
0: (laughs) All right. we're we're in chapter one. Yeah. And (laughs) and I want to encourage you
1: too, man. We just overviewed one. Read it. I cannot encourage you enough that this this next eight, how long are we doing? Eight, 12, what? It's like 10 or like a 12, lot? yeah, a lot. Every week, read the chapter. We're doing over overview. This was a letter. Remember, this wasn't a theological book. It was a letter. Then they just read it. And then they probably talked about it. And people probably said, I hate Paul. I'm not even gonna read his letter, you know, but whatever. So read it. And so you go home, read one, look at it in context, kind of do that kind of work yourself because that you will be way more uh, getting more out of, it, hopefully, what we're journeying together
0: if you do that. So yeah, I want to so encourage you to that. So post some prayer. And then we have baptism like in 15 minutes. Yeah, we
1: have baptism. At 12 o'clock, come on out if you want. If you haven't expressed your faith in the baptism waters, I'll be out there. Come celebrate with us. We do it at noon. Last month was so fun. Awesome. Come yeah. on out. I'll talk to anyone out there and then I'll do the baptism. And baptism a is time. a symbol
0: of all of us need cleansing, all of us need new life yeah. by yeah. grace in Jesus Christ. Yeah. So if you yeah, you're want getting to be baptized your faith,
1: into us, exactly not right. into Jesus, yeah, totally. Yeah. So, Father, just thank you so much for just this, the beginning of this book and, and the challenge for each of us. Oh, man, this, this book on unity, this, this causing us to think about how we think about each other, I pray that it would just radically transform this church over the next few weeks, that, that we would really begin to be people that truly all people are kind of, are kind of people because all people are your kind of people and, and that you would just uh, really do a work, drawing us together, helping us see that in the kingdom of God, we're all part of that. May your kingdom come and your will be done here in Temecula, through Rancho, and through through the world. This is being done in heaven for your glory and your honor and praise. In Jesus' name,
0: amen. All right, so a couple quick things. Steve's gonna be out there in about 10 minutes and baptizing a bunch of folks, but I wanna encourage you, if you're willing, to come back tonight at 6 p.m. It's gonna be a very important time together, an hour together of lament. It's not for everybody, we recognize that. There are a lot of things going on in our country, some of which we talked about today. We need to align our heart with the grieving heart of God. We talked about the Uvalde shooting last Sunday. It was a serious, significant time together as a church. There have been 19 mass shootings in America since last Sunday. We're a broken people. We need to align our heart with the grieving heart of God. I know there's a basketball game tonight. I'm gonna to record it. <laughs> New technology. Uh, but come here tonight if you'd if if you if you like. It's gonna be a very significant time together, six o'clock. And then we have yeah. a women's group on yeah. Monday night. Our, yep, our men's yeah. well, our men's group
1: is tomorrow night. Okay. We start our, our summer session. Okay. We're gonna do every Monday in June. Come yep. on out, let's get connected. We're not gonna be able to live this out. If we don't connect with each other, right. it's at Top Spin in Old Town. Tomorrow. 6.30 tomorrow. On Tuesday at Rachel's house, they do a Coffee talk thing with the ladies that's once a month even though we'll be every month in june for the men and so that's tomorrow night lots and going then on we have a
0: prayer corner prayer corner if you uh, like, if you, anybody feel like you need prayer. prayer there's a lot going on there yeah prayer
1: yeah. going on over there we have some of our elders and deacons over there to pray with you and yeah Thank come you back very next much. week
0: that was fun yeah let's do it again right. look forward to seeing you have next week, week or maybe bye tonight bye. god bless you